Hi there, and welcome to the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast. I'm your host, Rick Cole, and each week, right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, we take a trip down memory lane, back 50 years, and we bring you all the hockey news from that time period. And this week, the stories told by some of the greatest sports writers of all time are from the week of May 10th to 16th, 1971. This weekend's UFC 262 is sure to be a can't-miss event. Every punch, kick, and knockout means so much more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of UFC, is giving you a shot at huge cash prizes. For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering all customers a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. If you haven't tried it yet, Fantasy MMA is easy to play. Just pick six fighters, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for advances, takedowns, and more. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Plus, don't forget about basketball and hockey, where DraftKings has even more money up for grabs throughout the week. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN, that's THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network, for your shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the week. That's promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com for details. And in addition to DraftKings, we're also sponsored by Newspapers.com, the world's largest online newspaper archive, and they enable us to do all the research to bring you all this great news from 50 years ago. And we're also sponsored by the Breakwall Brewing Company in beautiful downtown Port Colborne, Ontario. If you enjoy what we do uh, here every day on Twitter and each week on the podcast, you can help us out by going to patreon.com slash hockey50years and subscribe to this podcast. Subscribers not only get early access to each week's episode, but we also have some really neat uh, stuff in the hopper that will be available only to subscribers. Once again, that's patreon.com slash hockey50years to subscribe to the 50 years ago in hockey podcast. This was a busy week for hockey news 50 years ago. We, of course, are getting into the Stanley Cup final. We're in the middle of things and we'll be bringing you uh, uh, the games from, well, actually games four, five, and six. But there was a lot of off-season hockey news going on as well. Off-season because everybody except two teams, of course, on the sidelines now. And the Stanley Cup final in 1971 and all through that era was like a giant convention for hockey people. Everybody who was anybody in the hockey world was at the Stanley Final Games, and that's where people were discussing draft strategy, uh, doing a little bit of BSing for their contemporaries, trying to fool them into what they were thinking. And a lot of groundwork for some big trades was laid at the Stanley Cup Final. So we're going to start off this week with a bunch of quick hits on the hockey news from that week, 1971. Every year at this time during the Stanley Cup Final, the NHL had their awards luncheon usually in Montreal. 
often, most of the time, I think, at the Queen Elizabeth Hotel, and the major award winners were announced at the beginning of the week. As everyone expected, Bobby Orr was the big winner. He took the Hart Trophy for Most Valuable Player and the Norris Trophy as the Best Defenseman. Johnny Busick of the Bruins won the Lady Bing Trophy and the NHL's Calder Trophy for Rookie of the Year, to no one's surprise, went to Gilbert Perot of the Buffalo Sabres. The Vezina Trophy had been determined already, but at this time, it was awarded to the New York Ranger duo of Eddie Jackman and Jules Vilmer. Trade rumors were flying around uh, the games and the uh, various venues this week. And uh, even though they're fully engaged in the Stanley Cup final, there were rumors involving Canadians and the Chicago Blackhawks. And the Blackhawks were not happy about all the talk that was going on about their uh, their players. It was being said by multiple sources that at the end of the playoffs, no matter what the result, Chicago would announce the acquisition of forward Rosaire Pema from the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, apparently, it was going to be a three-for-one swap uh, with names of uh, defenseman Jerry Korab, Paul Schmier, and trouble forward Jerry Pinder rumored to be included in the trade. By the end of the week, though, the Canucks said that Chicago's offer, whatever it happened to be, was not enough to pry Paymont from their roster and he would be staying in Vancouver. Red Burnett of the Toronto Star reported on Tuesday that it was likely that Detroit general manager Ned Harkness was going to agree to a trade with Montreal, which would bring defenseman Terry Harper and one of Montreal's goalkeepers not named Dryden to the Detroit Red Wings for their first-round amateur draft pick. And, of course, that pick was second overall. Sam Pollock badly wanted to get Marcel Dion of the St. Catharines Blackhawks with that second pick, but Sam was upset that Harkness was leaking information about the trade and publicly admonished the Detroit first-year GM for basically having a big mouth. Pollock uh, apparently told Burnett that Harkness's remarks had been in poor taste. Sam said he's been asking around about some of our players, particularly Terry Harper, and I'm upset about it. First of all, I don't want to talk about any deals at all until this playoff is settled. Secondly, I would never make the kind of deal that Detroit is talking about anyway. But now I'm most concerned about the way the names of our players keep popping up at a crucial time like this. Sam Pollock did admit to Red Burnett that Harkness is doing his utmost to complete this trade. He keeps pressing, Pollock says. He calls and says, what about so-and-so and what about this other guy? He says he has other offers. I told him, go make a deal then. But I know the only place he can get a decent goalie is from the Montreal Canadiens. Vancouver Canucks goalie Dunk Wilson has apparently been given permission by the NHL club to play professional lacrosse this summer with the Vancouver Berards. He's now talking contract with that lacrosse club and could have a, a deal sealed by uh, the, the uh, next uh, week or two from what we understand. The word out of Oakland early in the week was that the Seals had given up on the idea of bringing in Scotty Bowman to run the hockey operation there. It was now believed at the beginning of the week that they would hire Boston Bruins Chief Scout Gary Young. 
Young had recently signed a five-year deal with Bruins, but it seems, according to the Oakland Tribune who is reporting this, that Young had been given permission to discuss the general manager position of the Seals with that team's owner, Charles O'Finley. Young told the San Francisco Chronicle that he had been offered the job by Finley, but Charles O'Finley denied that he had offered him the general manager's job, although he did reluctantly admit that he had been talking with Young about a position with the Seals Club. After several news outlets reported Young had been hired, news leaked out that Finley was not yet done with Scotty Bowman, who was once again back in the running for the job, and no one seemed to know by the end of the week exactly what was going on. Well, at least that's what we all thought. But just before the end of the week, the Seals, or somebody from the organization, because it really still wasn't clear, seemed to have confirmed that Gary Young was going to be hired as the new general manager of the Seals. Meanwhile, Young's going to have his hands full with more than just hockey items if he was to become the GM. Seals front office people were leaving in droves. This week alone, the public relations director, the group sales ticket manager, and the controller of the team all submitted their resignations and left for what they felt, and probably were right about feeling this, much greener pastures. So the Seals are going to have a lot of holes to fill, not only on the ice with that terrible hockey club, but in the office operations as well. And there was more Seals news, and they, this was along with the Minnesota North Stars. Uh, those two teams were given permission by the Semi-Pro International Hockey League to establish franchises in that league. The Seals will have a farm club in Columbus, Ohio, while the North Stars will place a team in Saginaw, Michigan. And speaking of the North Stars, a trade rumor from the North Stars has Bobby Russo moving on after spending only one year in Minnesota. Uh, the strong story going around is that he's being traded back to the Montreal Canadiens in exchange for Claude LaRose, who of course was with the North Stars, was traded back to Montreal. Now he might be going back to Minnesota in what seems to be a never-ending carousel of player movement between the North Stars and Canadiens. The Minnesota general manager, Ren the Bird Blair, admitted to Minnesota writers that he was talking with the Detroit Red Wings about a trade, but he was not interested in the Wings' first draft pick, which, as we mentioned earlier, was second overall. No, Red Wren doesn't want young players. He wants an established forward who can play the forward line, either left or right wing, and a guy in Detroit he's particularly interested in is Nick Libet. Now, Detroit needs goaltending very bad, and uh, they would like to get young Gilles Jobert, but the guy Blair wants to deal to the Red Wings is veteran Gump Worsley. Tom Fitzgerald of the Boston Globe suggests that the Blues and Bruins could conduct some business with Boston minor league goalies John Adams or young Dan Bouchard being of interest to the Blues GM Lynn Patrick. 
Patrick apparently is more interested in Adams and Bouchard, whom he feels is too young to withstand the rigors of an NHL schedule. And the reason the Blues are interested in Adams is because the veteran Glenn Hall once again has uh, indicated he is definitely retired and he's going to stay home on his Alberta farm to do more than paint his barn this year. That would leave only Ernie Wakely and the veteran Jacques Caron between the pipes in the in the St. Louis organization. Following up on that story was Wally Cross of the St. Louis Post-Gazette. He suggests that a likely acquisition to play in goal for the Blues is Penguins goalie Al Smith. The Penguins uh, president... Jack Riley and general manager Red Kelly have let it be known that they would like to peddle Smith in order to obtain other assets. And still with goalkeepers trade talk, Emil Francis of the New York Rangers told the New York Times that he's probably going to trade one of his backup netminders. That means Gilles Villemir, who just completed his rookie season in the NHL at 8.30, or the much younger Peter McDuffie could be sent to other teams of the Blues and Francis feel that McDuffie is NHL ready and he could supplant Vilmier, who was a rookie this year, if he stays with New York. But the Blues, uh, from what we understand, think that McNuffie would be a great fit to work with Ernie Wakely in St. Louis. Interesting story here, a bit of crossover between hockey and baseball. Catcher Ted Simmons of the St. Louis Cardinals was in Montreal for a series against the Expos this week, and he was telling folks that he's pulling big time for the Canadians to win the Stanley Cup. Ted says, I got to do that. I have money on Montreal. I think it might go seven games, but I think the Canadians are going to take that Stanley Cup. Ted said, I'd like to think I know something about hockey because I lived in Detroit all my life. I have a lot of friends in the game and Sid Abel's sister was my wife's maid of honor at her wedding. Of course, Sid Abel is now the coach of the St. Louis Blues. Well, Ted said that, uh, you know, there were seven or eight of the Blackhawks at our game against uh, the Expos on Monday. Joe Haig uh, is friendly with a few of them. Joe plays first base for St. Louis. Uh, he, of course, Joe Haig is pulling for Chicago. Well, Joe uh, got a bunch of the Blackhawks to come into the Cardinals uh, locker room and they were introduced somewhere, maybe it was at a bar, we really don't know, to a bunch of the St. Louis Cardinals player. Well, when... Uh, Ted Simmons got a chance to shake hands with a few of the Blackhawks. Joe Haig said to the players, you know, this guy is betting on Montreal. Now, Simmons says, what a thing to say. I'm meeting the Blackhawks. I'm shaking the hands of this big, tall, red-headed guy. Keith Magnuson is who it was. And Joe Haig tells him I'm betting against him. That guy could have torn me apart. Luckily for Ted Simmons and the Cardinals, though, Keith Magnuson had a lot of class and did not tear Ted Simmons apart. There was a trade announced this week, at least completion of an earlier deal, and it involved the Blues. Uh, you remember back during the season when the Gary Younger Red Barons and swap was announced, the Blues also, as part of that rather complicated transaction, acquired the rights to Carl Brewer, but they did owe Detroit some more players. Well, this week, the Red Wings were announcing that they had acquired three players from St. Louis to complete the transaction. They were veteran left winger Ab McDonald, a young forward out of uh, Canadian 
college by the name of Mike Lowe and defenseman Bob Wall, who started his career with the Red Wings. McDonald, you will remember if you're a Blues fan, was on a line with Red Berenson and Tim Ecclestone that set the Blues single season scoring record for one line. Now the Red Wings will have that line, albeit a few years older, in Detroit. We're hearing out of Buffalo this week that uh, the Sabres still hold the inactive Bisons franchise for the American Hockey League and that they are trying to reactivate it in another city. Of course, Punch Imlac's old buddy Joe Crozier would be brought in to run the AHL club and the two cities most mentioned about where a Buffalo farm team could be, Cincinnati and get this, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. The Maple Leafs revealed that during their uh, series with the New York Rangers, center Norm Ullman played the entire series with two broken fingers and severe shoulder and ankle injuries, and yet Norm still gave all he had to the Leafs, and he was very effective. Can you imagine just what a boost it would have been for Toronto if Norm Ullman had played the way Norm Ullman usually can? But it wasn't his fault. He was really badly banged up in that series. Red Burnett of the Toronto Star was on top of the rumors as he usually is this week. And he had another one in the uh, later in the week on Saturday in the Toronto Star when he said that there were stories he was hearing that Scotty Bowman was now being considered for the general manager's job in Toronto. What would happen is Scotty would take over the Maple Leafs and Jim Gregory would move further upstairs to become an executive vice president with the Toronto hockey team. Now, Burnett also was the first to suggest, at least that we had read, that that uh, Scotty Bowman was in line to replace Al McNeil as coach of the Canadians. And by the end of this week, we were hearing that McNeil was under fire from a lot of the Montreal players for his perceived coaching in- incompetence. So maybe Red was on top of things even better than we suspected at that time. One more Red Burnett trade rumor as well at Saturday. He uh, reported that the Sabres were willing to deal any one of their three goalies, Roger Crozier, Joe Daly, or Dave Dryden, for a player or players capable of stepping into the NHL immediately next season. One of those three is going to have to go, I'm sure. Three goalie systems just don't work in the NHL in 1971. And our last bit of uh, news bits for this week... From the uh, Detroit Free Press, writer Howard Erickson reports that uh, Gordy Howe is now a major executive with an insurance company of Norin. It's called Norin Company. He has become a vice president. It's a holding company owned by millionaire Bruce Norris, owner of the Red Wings. Now, Big Gordy, who's troubled this past season with a, uh, a an ailing wrist, arthritis was setting in, had been injured for a lot. Uh, he told Erickson that he intends to play next season, which would be his 26th season in uh, an unparalleled pro hockey career. But he left the door open for early retirement from his $100,000 a year contract, which has a year to run. Gordy told Erickson, even if I don't play next season, I'll stay with the hockey club 
as a coach. He would serve as an assistant to head coach Doug Barkley. Gordy in the past has expressed no desire to coach the Red Wings or any other team for that matter. But uh, this seems to be a little bit of a change of an attitude in Gordy uh, towards coaching. So next, we turn our attention to the Memorial Cup Eastern Final. As far as hockey results are concerned, when last we spoke, the Quebec Ramparts had led the series three games to one, with the series shifting to Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto for a game five between the St. Catharines Blackhawks and the Quebec Ramparts. The game was going to Maple Leaf Gardens at the request of the St. Catharines owners because they just couldn't accommodate all the St. Catharines fans that wanted to see the series. St. Catharines Arena only holds about 3,400 people and so Maple Leaf Gardens with over 15,000 so it was reportedly already sold out for that game. But here's a very interesting uh, twist to this whole story. We told you about the debacle in Quebec last week that saw a policeman injured for stitches the St. Catharines players having to lay on the floor of their bus while projectiles such as batteries, beer bottles, even potatoes and eggs were thrown through the windows of the bus. The players were laying on the floor to avoid injury. It was a terrible scene and the Blackhawks have informed this week, informed the uh, Canadian Amateur Hockey Association that under no circumstances were they going to return to Quebec City? The whole thing began early in the week when uh, the Blackhawks president, Fred Muller, said he was going to the CAHA and that we will make our stand known at that time and it will be extremely strong after the incidents during and after the fourth game in Quebec City. While Fred Muller was being a little coy with what he was going to say to the CAHA, coach of the Blackhawks, Frank Milne, did not mince words and was very uh, explicit in what he said. Uh, Frank said, I'm sure we're going to win in Toronto on Wednesday night, but there's no way I'll risk the health or possibly the life of our players by taking them back to the Quebec Coliseum. The kids don't want to go and I don't blame them, said Coach Milne. He also said that he didn't want to go to Quebec either and he won't as far as he's concerned. Under no conditions, he said, will we return and be subjected to the abuse from the fans which we took last weekend. I don't want to be held responsible for a group of teenagers in a place where there's just no crowd control. Mellon went on to say that it was a miracle that there wasn't a complete riot Saturday night and that risk should not be taken once again. Of course, the whole thing could have been resolved very quickly. Wednesday night at Maple Leaf Gardens, CHCH-TV in Hamilton even offered to televise the game. They were uh, permitted to do so, and there were over 15,300 at Maple Leaf Gardens. The Blackhawks didn't have any trouble. They completely outgunned the uh, Remparts, and uh, they won the game by a 6-3 score. Brian McKenzie, who had his indefinite suspension lifted by the CAHA before the game, was the top gun for St. Catharines. He scored a pair of goals. And while he was held off the score sheet as far as goals scored, Marcel Dion also set up a pair. Now this really threw a monkey wrench into the whole uh, idea of the junior playoffs because if Quebec had won, it was over and that was it. 
But earlier in the day, after Fred Muller of the Blackhawks made his representation to the Canadian Amateur Hockey Association, stating the team would not go to Quebec, the CAHA put that series engraved out by saying the Blackhawks must return to Quebec for game six. So Thursday was a day of negotiation, even though the CAHA had made its ruling. Negotiations continued to try and find a way that the Blackhawks could go to Quebec City. They asked for bonds to be posted, extra security, uh, but the main thing they wanted was, we'll go to Quebec, but not to Quebec City. And they asked that the game be moved to Montreal in a manner similar to the way the Blackhawks had moved their game from St. Catharines to Toronto. And the Remparts organization flat out refused the request. And Earl Dawson said the CAHA would not be involved in the posting of any monetary bonds to guarantee the safety of the players. Well, we we spoke with Will McLaren, who wrote a very interesting retrospective of this whole series for the, the Hockey News recently, and, and Will uh, had some very good insight. He was telling us how some of the uh, Remparts players had no idea of what the, had transpired between Quebec fans and the St. Catharines players. The players were very well insulated, almost sequestered from all outside uh, influences. And they didn't know about the uh, the items that were striking the St. Catharines players, players being spat on, and what went on at the uh, hotel and on the team bus. Uh, it was uh, very interesting. Andre Savard was interviewed at length by Will McLaren, and he told a uh, uh, very interesting stories of the, the series from the perspective of the Quebec players and not much of that involved the actual violence that went on that didn't involve what went on on the ice although they did talk a lot about how rough St. Catharines was especially on Guy Lafleur and Jacques Richard. One interesting recollection was uh, a lot of the talk about this uh, animosity between the Quebec fans and St. Catharines was the fact that two of the St. Catharines' more prominent players, Marcel Dion, who would turn out to be an, uh, a Hockey Hall of Famer, and Pierre Guité, who was from the Montreal area, they had left Quebec and the Quebec Junior League to play in Ontario with St. Catharines, and they underwent uh, a lot of abuse. Marcel Dion told me about some of that one time. They underwent a lot of abuse because they were deemed to be traitors from Quebec. You have to consider the political atmosphere at this time with a lot of separation talk uh, in the province. The uh, FLQ crisis of the fall of 1970 was very fresh in a lot of people's minds, and this was really a big thing. But Andre Savard said none of that mattered to the players. There was no talk of it. There was no attention attention paid to it and in fact when it was mentioned to him I think he was a little surprised that anyone thought that was even a consideration. Now a lot of people uh, really criticized the St. Catharines management for forfeiting the series which they formally did on Thursday afternoon but you have to understand this this was not St. Catharines management's decision and it was not even the decision of the players when it finally came down to a vote of the players the players said that they would go to Quebec and suck it up and do whatever they had to do to try and win this series but 
the St. Catharines management went to the parents of the players or possibly a group of the parents went to St. Catharines management. We're not entirely sure how that transpired, but it was the parents of the St. Catharines players that refused to give permission for the team to return to Quebec City. The Blackhawks respected the parents' decision, and that is why the series was forfeited. And there was just yet another little side note to this very bizarre uh, junior playoff uh, spring. The Remparts apparently made an agreement in secret on Wednesday to play a National Junior Hockey Championship, in other words, a Memorial Cup final, against the Edmonton Oil Kings, who had earlier challenged the Eastern winner to a final series. The existence of that agreement was confirmed to the Edmonton Journal on Thursday by Earl Dawson, president of the CAHA. At the same time, Tubby Schmaltz, the president of the Ontario Association, uh, was very upset because the OHA and the uh, Quebec League had prior previously made an agreement that neither of those Eastern finalists would play against the Western winner because of the overage provision that allowed Western teams to use overage juniors. And the Eastern teams felt that put them at a disadvantage. Now quickly to be fair to Quebec on this, it sounds like they're doing an end around and that they were uh, reneging on an agreement with the OHA. This is probably the reason from what I've been able to dig up that uh, Quebec agreed to play Edmonton. The Edmonton Oil Kings did not use any overage players, according to uh, what we've been told from uh, newspaper reports out in uh, Alberta. And so for that reason, Quebec felt that they would be on an equal terms with the Edmonton Oil Kings, and they agreed to the se the series, which we'll talk about in next week's show. So now we move on to the Stanley Cup final, which of course is the big news going on this week in what was a really busy hockey week for the second week in May. Uh, three games had been completed in the series. The Blackhawks were leading 2-1. to one. Everybody felt that the Canadians' bubble had finally burst and uh, game floor was slated for Tuesday night at the Forum in Montreal and most people figured that the uh, Blackhawks would re recover from that loss to give uh, Canadians at least a foothold in the series and they'd probably take a 3-1 lead. Not many people expected the Canadians to be able to win two in a row from the powerful Blackhawks. Well, you know what happened? The Canadians in this game, in game four, they came out flying. They scored three times in the first period compared to once for Chicago. And after that, they cruised to an impressive 5-2 to two win over the Blackhawks, immediately installing themselves all of a sudden in the minds of the bandwagon jumpers at least as now favorites to take this series. 
We'll give you the game report from Red Burnett of the Toronto Star, who seemed to be on fire this week with his reporting. Montreal Canadiens bl- uh, blinded the Chicago Blackhawks with speed, dazzled them with a fancy passing display, and whomped them in a third-period brawl on the way to a 5-2 triumph at the Forum. Habs wrapped up the lopsided win with a three-goal blitz in the first period uh, to delight the 17,607 fans who perspired in the 80-degree heat of the Forum. This Stanley Cup series now swings back to Chicago for the fifth game and what one hopes will be a better display of National Hockey League endeavor tomorrow night. The Hawks are going to have to show amazing improvement or they're going to be out in six games. For the first time in this final series, the proceedings were marred by a nasty, uncalled-for brawl. Perhaps you could blame it on the heat. It was 80 degrees in the place. The Hawks used the excuse that referee Bruce Hood had allowed Jacques Lemaire, of all people, to cross-check Lou Angotti from behind without assessing a penalty. Chicago's main tough guy, Keith Magnuson, tried to get at Lemaire, but he was intercepted by Montreal defenseman Guy LaPointe. They milled around, punching, mauling, and struggling as linesmen Neil Armstrong and Claude Béchard tried to lug them apart. Canadians Mark Tardif and Hawks seldom used defenseman Paul Schmier tangled on the backboards in a punching, hair-pulling match, and it was more wrestling than anyone else. And the Hawks' Danny O'Shea accepted a fistic challenge from the abrasive Phil Roberto, and they waltzed around for a while as well. After order was sort of restored, Hood sent all the participants to the dressing rooms with uh, 10-minute misconducts with less than that to play in the game. And so Billy Ray sent out his not-so-jolly green giant, the defense pair of Rick Foley and Jerry Korab. And you don't want to be a smallish forward going in on those two. Well, the latter, Korab that is, went after Frank Mahovlich, doesn't pick his spots. He picked the biggest guy in the Canadiens. But he went after the big M with his stick, and Frank replied by clubbing Korab with his twig as well. Korab got two minutes for spearing, two for high sticking, and a misconduct, while the big M only got two minutes for high sticking, and that made Billy Ray even more angry. After the game, Frank Mahovlich assessed the uh, incident in this way. Frank said, I guess he had his orders to agitate me. That must have been his job because he really can't do anything else. Not a great assessment of Jerry Korab. Uh, Billy Ray, after the game, uh, expressed confidence that momentum was not on the side of Canadians, even though they had just won two straight to tie the series. Billy said that the Canadians deserved the win because they were really flying. But Billy said... We've had these kinds of nights before and we've always snapped back. Montreal coach Al McNeil refused to gloat, but he did say, we skated and we forechecked well and that's our game. But we got a little too loose and too careless in the last period and I wasn't happy about that. Luan Gotti had the final word on this game after uh, he was uh, cross-checked by Lemire in what started the whole brawling thing. Uh, And Gotti said, We'll be waiting for him in Chicago, and you'll see a different game and a different result.
So back in Chicago for Thursday night's Game 5 with things all squared at two games apiece, the Hawks recovered enough in what was now turning into a homer series to claim a 2-0 win and a 3-2 lead in the series in what is what usually a pivotal fifth game. But this win was mainly due to the work of just one man. Chicago goalie Tony Esposito made 31 saves in a scintillating performance and when much of all held the edge in the play and in shots on goal. Blackhawks managed only 22 drives at Ken Dryden who was in goal once again for the Habs. Dennis Hull and Cliff Coral took care of the scoring for the home side and now with the Habs definitely on the ropes it would appear once again that the wheels were about to fall off the Montreal fire wagon hockey and I'll tell you what really gave the Blackhawks a big lift at least let them think that they had this thing in the bag was the big story of this series all of a sudden hockey once again was becoming a secondary to off-ice news and the news this time made headlines everywhere and basically caused everybody to write the Canadians off. And again, I'm going to let Red Burnett describe what happened. I, I use Red a lot uh, for the reports in this series because he's a neutral observer. He's from from uh, Toronto, doesn't care who wins, and just reports it as only Red Burnett can. And let's give you this report on the news that emerged the very next day in all the papers. Henri Richard, 35-year-old younger brother of Montreal's legendary Maurice the Rocket Richard, blew his stack in the Canadiens' dressing room after his team lost its third game to the Hawks in the best-of-seven Stanley Cup final. Chicago now leads the series 3-2 with the sixth game in Montreal Sunday afternoon. Richard bounced his stick off the wall of the dressing room in the Chicago stadium and roared at a group of French language writers. I never played for a worse coach. I'm paid to play. I give a hundred percent and I think it's time somebody said something. Richard said that the team won in Montreal with three set lines and uh, this time he said we came here and he mixes the lines all up. How can you win with him? He's incompetent. Richard went on to say I didn't deserve to be benched. He was used sparingly in the third period. He said McNeil kept using the tired guys and they needed a rest. Then Richard challenged his newsmen by saying write it. Write it all. Write exactly what I said. Go ahead and write it. Red Burnett wrote that Henri Richard was not the only player dissatisfied with McNeil, who took over as coach of Canadians in December, replacing Claude Ruel. And Ruel, of course, if you remember, also had trouble with members of the uh, Montreal Hockey Club. John Ferguson has indicated at different times that he was less than pleased with the way McNeil, who was a former NHL defenseman, although more of a journeyman than a star, uh, he was not happy. Fergie was not happy with the way that uh, McNeil was handling the team either. In last night's game, McNeil used 18 different line combinations and left winner Frank Mahovlich, the Canadian's top scorer with 13 goals and 11 assists in the playoffs, played with, get this, five different centers during the game. Montreal's great captain Jean Beliveau, ever the diplomat, very respected in the dressing room. He tried to calm Richard down right in front of all the uh, newspapers reporter. However, Henri refused 
to be silenced by his captain. And this, by the way, isn't the first time Richard has blown a stack in this kind of manner either. To his credit, McNeil uh, made no comment. In fact, the reason was he was hustled out of there and he was not available to make a comment to anyone. Usually, General Manager Sammy Pollock has managed to pour uh, oil on troubled waters surrounding his coach. But now there's an indication that Richard... Uh, might even be suspended by management for his outburst. But with the team one defeat away from elimination, what Sam Pollock is going to have to do is solve this problem without taking the step of suspending a very valuable player. And it's a tough spot for Sammy Pollock to be in. And we all wondered what was going to happen when we got to Game 6 Sunday afternoon back in Montreal. So Sunday afternoon with dissension rife within the ranks of the Habs, everyone was expecting the Blackhawks to wrap this thing up so everybody could get on with their summer. Somebody forgot to tell the Mahavlich brothers uh, exactly that that was supposed to be the plan. As they say, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. First of all, Henry Richard made a statement to reporters that I should have kept my mouth shut and that's all he said. Sam Pollock and uh, Al McNeil both followed up with announcements that there would be no disciplinary action taken against Richard and Sammy Pollock summed up the entire situation thusly. Sam said the same kind of thing happened four years ago and Henry came back and helped us win the Stanley Cup against St. Louis and I'm hoping that the same thing's going to happen again. Sam added at the end of his statement, let's face it, I have an argument with my wife. I don't expect to get a divorce. So for the Game 6 game report this time, we're going to go to Dave Anderson of the New York Times. And uh, we'll give you uh, the basis of his report. Dave writes, once the Montreal Canadiens were known as the Flying Frenchmen, but now they're known as the Flying Mahavliches. With two third-period goals by the brothers of Croatian descent imported in trades with the Detroit Red Wings, Canadians defeated the Blackhawks 4-3 to in an atmosphere of tension and tradition. Their victory necessitates a seventh game at Chicago, which will take place on Tuesday night. And it will be nationally televised, we understand. But will it be televised in Chicago? Stay tuned. Now, I mentioned the game was in uh, an atmosphere of tension, and here's why. There were anonymous threats on the life of Montreal coach Al McNeil after Henri Richard had labeled him as incompetent. There was even uh, a statement from John Beliveau, uh, who said that the differences between the two had been settled in two minutes during a team meeting, and that there was really no problem. But throughout the game, four plainclothes detectives were assigned to the area behind the Montreal bench and elsewhere in the forum. 35 plainclothes uh, police officers were among the 17,817 spectators. Al McNeil was was uh, asked if having all the uh, bodyguards and police present bothered him. He said, I could tell you it bothered me, but really didn't bother me one bit. The triumph had cooled the situation. It also preserved the Canadians' position of never having lost a Stanley Cup final on home ice. But if they're to win the Cup this year for a record 16th time, they're going to have to disrupt the pattern of home ice victories that's dominated the Stanley Cup final. They're going to have to win a game in Chicago. 
and not just any game. They're going to have to win a game seven. As we mentioned, the Mahovlich brothers were the big the big guns in this game. Frank was uh, just outstanding. He was dominant. He had a goal and two assists. And it, it was really a good thing that he redeemed himself there because Frank was awarded a penalty shot. Uh, and according to the, this report from Anderson and others that, that night, it was the only penalty shot in the modern Stanley Cup era that began in 1927. He didn't score on this one. He skated in alone from the center ice dot where the puck had been placed. And he instead just shot uh, a low shot towards the goalie stick side. But Tony in that uh, that stance, it almost looks sort of like a butterfly, got a pad on it. And the puck was not high enough. It did not go in the net. Frank said afterwards on the penalty shot, I didn't figure he'd come out so soon and then go back in, so I didn't get the puck up high enough. The book on uh, Esposito, as everyone seems to know, is he drops down to his knees a lot, fake the shot, go up high, and you'll beat him. But Tony beat Frank on this one. Now, one of the interesting... uh, sidelights I guess of this game one of the features of the game after hearing how the Habs hated McNeil's constant line shifting the most significant aspect of the Canadians victory in this game was that McNeil kept his forward lines virtually intact for the entire contest the coach's shuffling of course had prompted Richard's critique but today uh, Richard skated at right wing for the entire game and he played very well. What did Henri had to say about this game after all the controversy that erupted after the last contest? Well, the pocket rockets, rockets said, I'd never been so nervous going into a game. I'm glad that we won. And when they did, and forth is force a seventh game, they did. They would go to Chicago Tuesday night where the Stanley Cup final winner for 1971 would be established and we will have complete coverage of that final game in next week's show so that is this episode everyone and what did we learn from a very very eventful second week of may well we got a plethora of hockey news and rumors this week even one trade being completed all just as much part of the stanley cup final as the games themselves we learned that a good number of canadians players really didn't like or respect the rookie coach but they didn't like the previous guy either if you remember I don't think that was really affecting the team all that much. And we learned that the Quebec Rempart will play for the Memorial Cup against the Edmonton Oil Kings, despite the Eastern section having made an internal agreement to forego a national final this year because of a difference in rules. Here are some of the stories that we're working on for next week's show. Well, of course, we'll have full coverage of the seventh game of the Stanley Cup final and all of the Stanley Cup aftermath, including retirement talk about many players and the winner of the Conn Smythe Trophy. We'll have, of course, more talk on the future of Canadians coach Al McNeil. And here's a bit of a spoiler. It's going to take about a month to settle what was actually going to happen. And we will have the results of the Memorial Cup final between the Quebec Rempart and the Edmonton Oil Kings. The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole. Can't thank him enough 
for all the hard work he puts into this. Uh, if you want to do a podcast similar to this, Andy can put something together for you. Get a hold of me. I'll put you in contact with Andy, and then you can talk about what you'd like to do. Andy's a true media professional, had a great career in radio, and uh, we love what he does with our stuff here. The Rural Alberta Advantage, very popular Juno-nominated Toronto indie rock group, provides us with our intro and exit music. Other sound effects and uh, music are uh, crafted by Andy Cole for the show as well. Our research comes from files from the Toronto Globe and Mail, the Toronto Star, and of course the many fine publications found at newspapers.com. So you can get us every week for this podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. We're on Twitter every day at at Hockey 50 Years. We have a Facebook page under the banner 50 Years Ago in Hockey. And our WordPress site is Hockey50YearsAgo.com. This is going to be a great uh, uh, finish to the 1970-71 season next week. It'll be our final regular season, our regular podcast show. The hockey news kinds of dries up after the uh, after the Stanley Cup final is finished and then kicks off in a big way in June. We're going to have a few more shows like that and a lot of interesting projects for the summer that you're going to be able to get as well. So on that note, we'll see you next week with more news on the 1971 Stanley Cup final. When the ice